Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chenny Wu. Let's take a look at our top stories. A suspect in custody after a deadly July 4th parade shooting in a wealthy Chicago suburb. Police say at least six people are dead and dozens injured. Another 4th of July shooting, this one in Philadelphia. Two officers were shot and are in stable condition after being released from the hospitals. No arrests have been made yet. The Navy reveals how fuel got into the water supply at Pearl Harbor last year. Human error is to blame. The contaminated water affected thousands. Boston's traditional Independence Day celebration made its return on July 4th. The event featured a grand parade and the reading of the Declaration of Independence. Police have captured a person of interest linked with yesterday's shooting in the wealthy Chicago suburb of Highland Park. The shooting happened during a 4th of July parade, leaving six dead and more than 36 injured. Jessica Beatty has more. Police confirmed Monday they captured 22-year-old Robert Cremo III. He's from the Highland Park area. The Detectives Endowment Association tweeted a picture of his arrest saying a North Chicago police officer located Cremo and alerted additional units. Cremo appears to have published several self-made rap songs using the artist's name Awake the Rapper. Eyewitness footage shows dozens of people fleeing amidst the sound of gunfire. After the crowd cleared, you can see several wounded along with a body draped in a white cloth. So far, there are five dead on the scene. Those decedents have been identified, and we are working on notification for those families. There is one additional decedent that was taken to a local hospital. According to Reuters, an elderly man from Mexico and a synagogue teacher were among the dead. Officials say the shooter fired from a rooftop, and they recovered a rifle from the scene. So the roof was a uh, business, and it looks like uh, access uh, to the roof via a ladder in an alley was unsecure. Hours after the shooting, police announced they had the suspect, Cremo, in custody. Police did not have a motive for the shooting. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker Monday called for an end to mass shootings. A little while ago, I spoke with President Biden, who pledged all support the White House can provide. The president agrees with me, this madness must stop. While the governor seemingly called for more gun control, a political analyst whose teen brother was shot dead in Chicago last month had a different take. Giano Caldwell said the parade shooting is a result of soft on crime policies. He tweeted the defund the police mantra is a disease that spread to the suburbs and going further. Criminals are empowered by this. Caldwell told the New York Post he believes locals in Highland Park will demand changes immediately and the next election could be brutal. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Two Philadelphia officers have been released from the hospital after getting shot at 4th of July festivities. After the incident, the city's mayor criticized the Second Amendment, saying only police should have guns. Helicopters were flying over Philadelphia Monday night looking for the gunman who shot two officers. One officer suffered a graze wound to his forehead. The other was struck in the arm. The shooting took place a little before 10 p.m. along Ben Franklin Parkway near the Philadelphia Museum of Art. The fireworks display was just getting started after a music concert had ended. 
Both officers were sent to Jefferson University Hospital before being released a few hours later. Standing outside the hospital, the city's mayor told reporters that the Second Amendment puts Americans in danger. In his words, I was in Canada two weeks ago, never thought about a gun. The only people I knew who had guns in Canada were police officers, and that's the way it should be here. He added that if he could take care of guns, he would, but that the legislators won't let him. He also told reporters that he's looking forward to retirement because he's always worried something might happen. The mayor said, everything we have in the city over the last seven years I worry about. I don't enjoy 4th of July. I don't enjoy the Democratic National Convention. I don't enjoy the NFL draft. I'm waiting for something bad to happen all the time. So I'll be happy when I'm not here, when I'm not the mayor, and I can enjoy things again. After the shooting, police instructed people in surrounding buildings to shelter in place and avoid the area if possible. Police have not said what had prompted or triggered the gunfire and no arrests have been reported so far. The shooting happened just hours after the one in Chicago suburb of Highland Park where a gunman on a rooftop opened fire. Six were killed and at least 36 were wounded. A federal judge has ruled in favor of three major drug distributors that were accused of causing a health crisis. They distributed 81 million prescription pain pills over eight years in a county ravaged by opioid addiction. The verdict came nearly a year after closing arguments. The trial was against Amerisource Bergen, Cardinal Health and McKesson. And the lawsuit was filed by West Virginia's Cable County and the city of Huntington. The companies blamed the pill distribution on an increase in prescriptions written by doctors. They also said there was poor communication and blamed the pill quotas set by federal agents. The lawsuit alleged the distributors created a public nuisance. But the judge said the state's Supreme Court had only applied public nuisance law when conduct interferes with public property or resources. He said to extend the law to cover the marketing and sale of opioids is inconsistent with the history and traditional notions of nuisance. In separate, similar lawsuits that took place earlier, the state of West Virginia reached settlements worth millions of dollars with each of the three companies. As some of the nation's largest firms vow to pay employees to travel out of state for abortions, An insurance company in Texas is promising to cover expenses for its employees looking to become parents. Buffer Insurance responded to the Supreme Court's overturning of Roe v. Wade with a pro-life message, pledging to adjust its policies to better support new parents on its staff. The company said it would provide paid maternity and paternity leave, as well as pay the medical costs of giving birth or adopting a baby. It's also offering those benefits to insurance clients and can help other companies implement the policy. The move comes as a growing list of high-profile companies say they'll pay their employees to get an abortion out of state if the end of Roe v. Wade prohibits them from doing so locally. A Navy investigation reveals that shoddy management and human error caused fuel to leak into Pearl Harbor's tap water last year. The polluted water poisoned thousands of people and forced military families to evacuate their homes. The investigation is the first account of how jet fuel from a fuel storage facility leaked into a well. The well supplies water to housing and offices in and around the Navy base in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. Some 6,000 people suffered nausea, headaches, rashes and other symptoms. The investigation listed a series of mistakes that started in May 2021. 
That's when operator error caused a pipe to rupture and 21,000 gallons of fuel to spill. After months of resistance, the military in April agreed to an order from the state of Hawaii to drain the fuel tanks and close the facility. A separate report said December 2024 was the earliest the Defense Department could safely defuel the tanks. Airlines are struggling to keep up with passenger demand amid a growing worker shortage. While there's no quick fix to the problem, some are taking steps to avoid a long-term crisis, especially when it comes to recruiting America's next generation of pilots. With the busy season of air travel upon us, passengers are bracing for more delays as airlines deal with the national pilot shortage. But in the Pacific Northwest, a new training program aims to make a difference in the long run. Bailey Couturier will soon enter the Ascend Pilot Academy to pursue his dream of flying commercially. It means a lot to me specifically because I grew up in foster care. The 21-year-old from San Diego getting a preview of his future on a recent summer day. I think that I am extremely grateful that I've been given this opportunity to pursue a career in aviation without having to go in debt. The program is a partnership between Hillsboro Aero Academy and Alaska Airlines and its regional partner, Horizon Air. Upon enrollment, cadets receive a conditional job offer at Horizon and are eligible for low-interest financial aid and a $25,000 stipend to cover the cost of a commercial pilot license. I get this euphoric feeling, thinking to myself, wow, I can't believe this is what I'm doing. You know, And I do know that for a lot of individuals who really want to, they can't uh, because of that huge barrier, the finances. The overall training can cost about $100,000, which is often a barrier to entry. This is definitely life-changing. It's opened the door for me directly to my career and my dream. The FAA requires a minimum of 1,500 flight hours to qualify for an airline transport pilot certificate, which officials say can take three to five years to complete. Throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, thousands of pilots at major airlines took early retirements, speeding up a pilot shortage that was already taking shape. Officials at Alaska say they'll need to hire 500 pilots a year for the next four years just to meet their staffing needs. This program is only one part of building out the pipeline. Despite some of the ongoing issues surrounding the industry, some say now would still be a good time to enter. This is a sector in the economy that's going to be growing robustly. That means that you will have a very good job. And if you like the sky, then, well, the sky is the limit. Coming up, how many hot dogs can you eat? The winner of this year's Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest ate 63 in 10 minutes. And that wasn't even his personal best. That and more coming up on NTD News. Boston celebrated the 4th of July with its annual Grand Parade. The event drew visitors from all over the country. Let's take a look. The city of Boston's traditional Independence Day celebration made a return on July 4th. With the stars and stripes raised in front of City Hall, Mayor Wu opened the commemoration with a note on the spirit of the holiday. There are many, many events and holidays that I get to attend and celebrate as mayor but few are as core to Boston's history, our character, and our ongoing legacy as Independence Day. For we are nothing if not fiercely free here in Boston. 
Today is a celebration of that freedom and a reminder of the work and sacrifice required to defend it, to deepen it. The crowd stood up to take the pledge to the flag in a solemn song. After the speeches, a parade in Continental Troops uniforms marched out of City Hall Plaza. Performances and music passed through downtown streets with a stop at Granary Burial Grounds to commemorate the founding fathers buried there. The procession then regrouped and continued on, closing at the old State House building. From its balcony, the ancient and honorable artillery company carried on its tradition of reading the Declaration of Independence. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The grand event brought together visitors from all over the city and the country. We love it. We, we like we it. We ended up catching just the last little bit of the parade, but it was a, it was really cool to see. It's our first time in Boston, so yeah. we're so excited to be here. The parade was wonderful today. This is one of the things I love so much about the ancients, is that they keep traditions going. I mean, these traditions go back to 1638, and I, when I joined this company, I finally found a group that keeps the traditions going, and I really love that, and I think in today's day and age, this is very important to keep traditions as we do. Monday's festivities also featured pop music performances and an evening fireworks display. Another summer tradition, known as Boston Harbor Fest, celebrates the city's maritime and revolutionary history from July 1st through the 4th. A couple of competitive eaters added another trophy to their collection at the annual Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. Hundreds of fans gathered for the contest in New York City's Coney Island. Let's take a look. This is a battle of the ages, a battle of the titans. This year, Nathan's famous 4th of July hot dog eating contest returned to its traditional location outside Nathan's flagship shop at Coney Island Amusement Park. Joey Chestnut gobbled his way to a 15th win, powering down a total of 63 hot dogs and buns. A reporter asked him if he plans to eat anything else for the rest of the day. Yeah, probably beer, but yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, probably, I'm not going to be hungry for at least till tomorrow. There, there's something intriguing about it. and there, There's something, uh, yeah, I don't know what it says really about America, but it, it's, uh, I think it shows Americans like to have fun. They, we like eat, we, eating, we like competition, and uh, we love Fourth of July. Jeffrey Esper was his nearest rival, finishing off 47 and a half hot dogs and buns. And James Webb was in third place with 41 hot dogs and buns eaten. On the woman's side, Mickey Sudo took first place after finishing 40 wieners and buns. Defending champion Michelle Lesko managed just 25 hot dogs and buns to take second place. And Sarah Rodriguez finished in third with 22 hot dogs and buns. Audience members said they were excited to watch the contest. Amazement seeing that how quickly they're able to consume all those hot dogs and buns and water in that short period of time. And I tried it one time, most I can get was 15. So, <laughs> and I had to stop halfway through. 
bunch of guys eating a whole lot of hot dogs and stuff. It's American yeah. tradition. You think of barbecues and eating hot dogs and hamburgers. But eating this much of consumption is, is, is incredible. Because it's a place where we're free to do such things, and we have a day that we can express our gratitude for our nation by doing whatever we want. Chestnut's record was 76 hot dogs and buns, set at last year's competition. Sudo set the women's record at 48 and a half wieners and buns in 2020, but skipped last year's contest because she was pregnant. Fireworks lit up the night sky over the U.S. Capitol and dazzled spectators along New York City's skyline and two huge Independence Day celebrations. The Washington, D.C. fireworks spectacle kicked off shortly after 9 p.m. local time. It was the largest celebration since the pandemic began. President Joe Biden and his family gathered on the veranda of the White House to watch the show. In New York, people gathered along the East River to celebrate the country's independence. They were treated to a massive fireworks display along, along the city's skyline. People waited for hours to get a good view, and then watched the show from various viewpoints on both sides of the river. It's the 46th year Macy's has hosted the annual show. Nearly 50,000 explosives lit up the sky and the fireworks launched off five barges. U.S. air travel continues to soar, with no major meltdowns at U.S. airports over July 4th. The TSA said it screened more than 11 million people over the holiday weekend. That's the 30th day in a row that saw more than 2 million people pass through airport security checkpoints. Air travel peaked on Friday when the TSA screened nearly 2.5 million people. That's the highest figure since February 11, 2020. Holiday weekend air travel has not nearly, is, was not nearly as bad as it could have been, as short-staffed airlines continue their struggle with flight delays and cancellations. According to FlightAware, there were more than 2,200 U.S. flight cancellations from Thursday to Sunday. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Coming up, a Russian scientist dies in custody after Russian authorities arrested him for alleged treason. His family says he was taken away from his hospital bed. And IKEA wants to hold a last online fire sale before closing operations in Russia. The sale was supposed to start today, but may have met with some technical difficulties. That and more here on NTD News. A Russian scientist who was arrested by Russian authorities last week on suspicion of treason has died in custody. He was suffering from advanced pancreatic cancer. Here are the details. Lawyers and a family member of Russian physicist Dmitry Kolker said on Sunday that Kolker died two days after being arrested. He was 54 years old and was a specialist in spectrometry and lasers. He was basically on, for the lack of a better word, life support. Um, he was eating through, through an IV. And uh, I think everybody was clear that th these were his last days. Russian authorities took Kolker away from his hospital bed in Siberia last week, put him on a four-hour flight to Moscow, and took him to a prison. He later died in a nearby hospital, according to lawyers. 
he was at the private clinic and uh, you know they basically they just uh, disconnected him from the life support machine and um, got some kind of a release release form a medical release form saying he did not need treatment and and often into their custody he went. Russian authorities accused Kolker of betraying state secrets to China. His cousin disagreed. He was a scientist, he loved his country. He was working in his country despite many invitations from leading universities and labs to go work abroad. Russian authorities have arrested and charged a number of Russian scientists with treason in recent years for allegedly passing sensitive material to foreigners. Swedish furniture chain IKEA will be open for business in Russia today for the last time. Customers are permitted to buy goods in an online-only fire sale. IKEA still operates 14 malls in Russia and exploring options for its 17 furniture stores there, which remained closed. Starting today, Russian customers can buy remaining goods online for as long as they're in stock. After that, the company will stop its operations in Russia. However, the company says it hopes to return in the future, but that conditions are not in place right now. And even though the online sale is supposed to start today, it was not possible to add items to the online basket as of 11 a.m. in Moscow. IKEA has said it will continue to pay its nearly 15,000 staff in Russia until the end of August. The United Nations Cultural Agency has added a traditional beet soup to its list of protected Ukrainian cultural heritage. This means a victory for Ukraine in an age-old culinary dispute with Russia. The protected dish, known as borscht, is a rich crimson soup packed with vegetables. It comes in several main types. The traditional red beet variety, green borscht made with sorrel, and fish-based variety. The soup is popular in both Ukraine and Russia. UNESCO sees Moscow's invasion as a threat to the status of the dish as part of Ukraine's cultural heritage. The agency thus registered it as needing urgent safeguarding. The new status means Ukraine can now apply for special funds to finance projects promoting and protecting the dish. Moscow has denounced the decision, calling it contemporary Kyiv nationalism. But Ukrainians are cheering about it. They say the decision marks a victory over Moscow. Coming up, the Pakistani military says warships purchased from China are defective. They've detected problems with the ship's missile firing systems. And Taiwanese civilians are taking defense and medical training. This comes after the war in Ukraine raised fears of a similar attack from neighbor China. Learn more in just a moment on NTD News. The Pakistani military has reported defects in four warships bought from China. They're said to fail when firing missiles. Let's take a look. At least four frigates the Pakistani Navy purchased from China are defective. That's according to a report from the Eurasia Times. The finding is based on analysis from European expert Valerio Fabri. He noted that Pakistan signed a deal with China in 2005 to build F-22P or Zulfiqar-class frigates. They were sold for $750 million and delivered between 2009 and 2013. Three of the ships were acquired from the China Shipbuilding Trading Company. One was built by Pakistan's Karachi Shipyard and Engineering Works under a technology transfer agreement with China. 
These frigates were intended to enhance air defense, intercept hostile surface combatants, and run patrols, among other purposes. Such missions require them to possess long-range surface-to-surface and surface-to-air missiles. But the Pakistan Navy detected issues with the search and track radars of the ship's FM-90 missile system. They were malfunctioning during high-power transmissions, so the system was unable to lock onto the target and would somehow disable the missile. All 17 defective infrared sensors on all the ships had to be discarded. Another problem involved the ship's main engines. High temperatures from the exhaust can cause them to run at a low speed, as explained by Fabry. A high degree of degradation was noticed in the engine crankcase and liner, which undermined the coolant chemistry in the ships. Lube oil degradation and deterioration of vibration isolators were some other faults in the engines. According to the Eurasia Times, problems with Chinese-made defense equipment have been well documented. The Pakistan Army used to import VT-4 main battle tanks and heavy artillery guns from Beijing. In February, the country reported quality and reliability problems with these weapons. The Royal Jordanian Air Force and the Bangladesh Air Force claimed similar deficiencies. They both identified performance problems with aircraft procured from Chinese aviation companies. U.S. Forces Korea, or USFK, released photographs of F-35A stealth fighters arriving in South Korea today as their first public visit since 2017 as the two allies increase joint military drills. A USFK spokesperson said it was the first public deployment of the aircraft to South Korea since December 2017. The stealth fighters will be in South Korea for 10 days. South Korea's president has sought to increase displays of military power, including joint drills. That's to counter a record number of missile tests conducted by North Korea this year. North Korea also appears to be preparing to test a nuclear weapon for the first time also since 2017. The country has denounced the joint drills as an example of hostile policies. It says the drills prove Washington's offer to negotiate without preconditions is hollow. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has brought a new spotlight to China's threat to Taiwan. Not only soldiers, but the average Taiwanese civilian is preparing for a possible conflict. The war in Ukraine has sparked great concern in Taiwan. There, more civilians are signing up for military and first aid training. They say they're preparing for a possible attack from neighboring China. Many people are paying attention to what is happening in Ukraine. In the past, you might think that war is just something between soldiers, but now it doesn't look like that. Sometimes civilians also need to involve themselves in aid work. Once you're in aid work or resource gathering, you also become a target for the enemy. In New Taipei City, private security company Polar Light Training helps transform citizens into defense and first aid units. People come to get familiar with soft air guns and other military weapons, like a portable anti-tank bazooka. This woman is a patent engineer. It's her first time learning to handle an airsoft gun. This year I saw the invasion in Ukraine by Russia, and I had this feeling. Despite the international community saying they will provide assistance, the help is not going to be there on time. 
So I think that Taiwanese people should have the ability to defend themselves. The Forward Alliance, a Taiwanese national security and civil defense think tank, provides professional first aid training. Jack Chang is the general secretary of the Taiwan Society of Paramedicine. He says interest in medical first aid is driven by what people see in the news about Ukraine. At each session, we would ask trainees why they would attend first aid classes. Many would mention concerns about the war in Ukraine. So they start to ask themselves, I am a civilian. What can I do to help? What can I do for myself, for my family, or what can I do for others? Lin Ping Yu points out the key to international intervention in a potential conflict in the Taiwan Strait. The war in Ukraine by Russia has confirmed such a theory. Only when people have shown their strong determination to defend themselves and act on it can they convince the international community to help them. Taiwan is a self-ruled island. It's only about 100 miles off the east coast of China. China claims Taiwan as part of its territory, though the Chinese Communist Party has never ruled the island. A Chinese military attack on Taiwan isn't in the immediate future, but the United States is watching the situation closely. That's according to General Mark Milley, chairman of the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff. When asked by the BBC whether he thought China would attack Taiwan, the top U.S. general replied, quote, there's no indications or warnings of anything imminent at this time. But again, we watch it very, very closely. Milley confirmed that China is clearly making plans to attack the island at some point, which Chinese leader Xi Jinping has mentioned in public speeches. Milley's comments come amid rising tensions across the Taiwan Strait, a sensitive waterway separating mainland China and Taiwan. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Coming up, the flood crisis worsens in Sydney, Australia. Thousands more residents are forced to evacuate their homes, and farmers are trying to save their animals. And a hypercar designed by artificial intelligence. The company says it marks a historic transition to a new way of making things. Learn more in just a minute on NTD News. Flood crisis in Sydney continues. Thousands more residents were ordered to leave their homes. That's as heavy rain soaked Australia's east coast today. Here's more. Torrential rains battered Australia's east coast on Tuesday, making a flood crisis in Sydney worse. Around 50,000 people across New South Wales, most in Sydney's west, were ordered to leave their homes after rivers swiftly rose past danger levels. New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet warned people to stay alert. Wherever you are, please be careful uh, when you're driving on our roads. Obviously there is still substantial risk uh, for flash flooding across our state. The federal government declared the floods a natural disaster, helping flood-hit residents receive emergency funding support. And the risk of flooding could remain through the week. Among the most vulnerable in need of rescue are animals. 
Horses and cows swam with water up to their necks in search of higher ground in Sydney's outskirts. Farmer Wayne Zulrev said the water came up quickly, forcing farmers to act fast. Obviously we've got to get them out now, so it's happened. It's happened overnight and, um, yeah, got to get them out. The state emergency service joined in to help. Yeah, it was really difficult with uh, multiple uh, animals in the uh, water. Emergency services boarded rafts, lassoing the animals and pulling them through flood water to safety. Several places received more than Australia's annual average rainfall in three days. Hikers in the Dolomites in northern Italy shared their reactions after a glacier collapsed and killed at least seven people. Experts say the collapse is linked to rising temperatures. We don't know exactly how safe is the situation now. It should, I don't think it is. So, and, we, and by respect for the people who are still there, we don't feel to go at all. Yeah. I've never heard of something like this happening, especially in the summertime in July, uh, especially in this region. So it's uh, definitely a surprise to me. Rescue teams resumed the search on Tuesday for 13 climbers who are still missing since part of a glacier gave way in the Italian Alps two days ago. A huge mass of ice collapsed on the route usually used by hikers and climbers to reach the summit of the highest peak in the mountain range. With the peak still unstable, rescuers have used drones and helicopters to look for victims. They have also tried to locate them through cell phone signals. Temperatures are usually freezing on the Dolomites' highest peak, but it reportedly reached 50 degrees Fahrenheit over the weekend. Much of Italy has been baking in an early summer heat wave. Scientists say the rising temperatures were making glaciers more unstable. Global tourism is picking up again as countries continue to ease COVID-19 restrictions. In Europe, many places say they're seeing a summer full of summer, sunny optimism and adventure. After two years of travel slump caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, Italy is celebrating a summer travel bounce. In Rome, demand for visits to the Sistine Chapel and the Colosseum is higher than ever. There is a huge craving to travel, just like popping a closed bottle. So the moment Italy loosened the COVID security measures at the beginning of April, a tsunami of bookings arrived from the United States in number and at a never-before-seen speed. Before the pandemic, the main group of tourists here came from Asian countries and Russia. But now those visitors are almost completely gone due to COVID-related issues and the war. In their place are droves of Americans. I think it's really refreshing to be able to travel post-pandemic. Uh, just being able to see, I guess, everyone getting back to normal or pre-pandemic. In Western Europe, France is also witnessing a tourism boom. After a frustrating two years, people in France and around the world who were imprisoned by COVID were set free quite brutally, and there's a craving to get out in all sectors. Not only that, but in Paris, tourism has already surpassed pre-2020 levels. The Astotel hotel chain said occupancy rates in May this year beat the figures of 2018 and 2019. It took a few weeks, a few months, from the 15th of February not only to recover, but to overpass the best result we ever had in Paris, in the tourists. And I think it is the same all over France and probably in many countries. 
According to the United Nations, of the $3.5 trillion global tourism industry, $2 trillion was lost in the pandemic. But as countries ease virus restrictions, the industry is taking off again. The UN World Tourism Organization reported that global international arrivals tripled in the first quarter of 2022, up 182% over the same three months last year. That number could rise to 70 percent of 2019 arrivals by the end of the year. Meanwhile, Russia's invasion of Ukraine has created new pitfalls for the travel industry's recovery. Inflation, supply chain issues, COVID-19 infections and labor shortages pose further challenges and uncertainties. These could remain obstacles to travel this summer. A company in California is rolling out an unusual hypercar. What makes it unique? Well, it was designed by artificial intelligence software. Let's take a look. The CEO of Zinger Vehicles, Kevin Zinger, says the company's new Zinger 21C hypercar is a glimpse of the future of manufacturing. The car was designed using an artificial intelligence software. I went about form following function and creating the ultimate uh, powertrain architecture and the ultimate design seating architecture combining it into one vehicle and then using human creativity and design and engineering connected to an AI-driven machine to create a form-follows-function design and vehicle that would shatter all records and actually have a purpose for existing as a hypercar. The hybrid supercar has a top speed of more than 250 miles per hour and can get from zero to 60 miles per hour in less than two seconds. Much of its structure is computer optimized and 3D printed, but still looks organic. So ground up structures design, but using a new software system. No one in the industry is using our software. No one is able to materialize the parts that come out of our software. So not only do you need to be able to design this complex geometry, which is AI driven, but then you need a method of manufacturing where you can actually materialize this complex of design. The co-founder of the company says the vehicle captures a historic moment, which marks a new way of making and designing products. So going from typical design, casting sheet metal, to generative design and additive manufacturing. And this vehicle captures that transition in time. But five, 10 years from now, we're gonna see most of automotive using these processes to design all cars, including the cars that we would drive every day on the street. Despite breaking track records at the Circuit of the Americas and Laguna Seca, the 21C is a completely drivable streetcar. Zinger says the company is focused on high-performance vehicles, but he also revealed plans to unveil a four-seater volume production car in California this August. While the F1 British Grand Prix was underway, a small but dedicated bunch of racers were fine-tuning their lawnmowers for their very own racing championships. The Lawnmower World Championship 2022 was held in a field in a rural village in southeast England. Various types of racing lawnmowers competed in different categories. There were the traditional lawnmowers with a seat attached in Group 2, more buggy-like mowers competing in Group 3, and the luxury-style miniature tractors racing in Group 4. 
blades were removed for safety reasons, and the machines were only allowed minor modifications. There were 16 races for each of the categories over the course of the two-day weekend. Legend has it that the sport was born at the meeting of enthusiastic motorsport fans in an English pub back in 1973. Coming up, a veteran at a military history museum teaches our NTD reporter how to properly fold an American flag, see how it's done, and why it's important to do it correctly. Around the 4th of July, Americans unfurl their flags and let them fly freely. But most people don't know there's a proper way to fold it and put it away. NTD's Eileen Ng learns how to fold the flag from a U.S. veteran. When most people see the American flag, they associate it with freedom. But did you know the process of folding a flag has meaning too? Richard Kiefer was a pilot during the 1960s. He is now a docent on the USS Hornet Museum, teaching the younger generation about U.S. military history, which includes flag folding. Delivering a flag to the relatives of a fallen service member always carries a story. In my presentation of the flag, I've got some idea of what his service was and how he died. But uh, there is a script that we use that's given to us as a recommendation that basically says, we're sorry for your loss, but on behalf of the President of the United States, Secretary of the Navy, Secretary of the Marine Corps, um, we feel your pain. And uh, on behalf of a grateful nation, we'd like to accept the flag uh, for your deceased person. Kiefer recalls his first time folding an American flag. My first case, if you will, was a, uh, a corpsman, a Navy corpsman. So he was embedded with the Marine Battalion in uh, Vietnam and saved, on the day he was killed, saved about 47 of his Marines and died in the same action. Uh, he got a silver star for that. His station had no honor guard at the time, so they had to form one to hold a funeral for the fallen. I'm looking at a young woman who's about 19 years old with a baby he had never seen. Uh, and uh, that was just so tough, and it's very, very vivid in my mind right now. And it was a very, very tough thing for me to get out and choke out. Um, but I managed to get through it okay. Flag folding consists of 13 folds, each with a meaning and a verse. First fold, a symbol of life. Each fold is careful, precise, and aligned. When you finish with the folds, it has to look a certain way. You cannot have any white showing, for example, or red showing on the fold. It all has to be the star field, so, or the canton field or, as of the flag, uh, so that it represents the final fold, which is the respect of God. By the 13th fold, it should look like a triangle. Kiefer said the triangle represents the hats the sailors and soldiers wore during the Revolutionary War. The flag would then be presented with both hands to the honor guard, with the long side facing out and the point facing oneself. Kiefer says presenting the point first is disrespectful. Now he educates the public about U.S. history and what freedom means to him. That is something that is given to you by people that died. 
for that for you to have that privilege in this country. Kayla Hurtado, a recent graduate and a teacher, has been fascinated with history since she was young. During the pandemic, she regularly visited the USS Hornet and learned how to fold a flag from Kiefer. It was a very emotional experience and also when, um, as he was teaching me, I was sweating, I was, I was making sure I made the right fold and I, every time I kept getting it wrong, I was like, Richard, what's going on? But he was really patient with me. She finds motivation to get the perfect fold. To me, it's very hard um, because you have to get all the fold, the folds right. But I try to uh, think about the people that I love and the people who serve this country in order for me to motivate me even more to get that fold right. Um, I want to do it for them and for my loved ones as well. Usually, the folding is done in midair with at least two people or six at a gravesite. Kiefer says the USS Hornet offers slightly different flag presentations depending on the service requested. Eileen Ang, NTD News, California. Diet plays a central role to health and longevity, but can it ease chronic pain? Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. The idiom, you are what you eat, is well accepted when it comes to decreasing your risk for heart disease, type 2 diabetes, obesity and some types of cancer. But it may come as a surprise that research increasingly suggests that what you put on your plate can either increase or decrease pain. That's because pain, whether it's acute or chronic, results from inflammation, and what you eat and drink can either stimulate or quell inflammation. In fact, research strongly suggests that your diet can contribute to inflammation throughout your body. It's believed that a poor diet that's high in saturated fats, sugar, and highly processed foods that are low in nutrients can negatively affect your immune system. It can also contribute to chronic inflammation, which in turn can trigger pain. A review of studies on diet and chronic pain published in the Journal of Clinical Medicine found that sticking to a healthy diet is key. The Mediterranean diet is a good example. It's linked to lower levels of markers of inflammation found in the blood. The Mediterranean diet is rich in whole grains, dark leafy green vegetables, nuts, legumes, fruits and seafood. These foods are all rich in nutrients that the immune system needs to function at its peak. The diet also includes olive oil and fatty fish like salmon and sardines. These are rich in omega-3 fatty acids, a fat that has been found to ease inflammation. In your diet, there are many foods to include and several to limit or avoid. Eat more whole grains, beans, nuts, seeds, berries, yellow, orange and red vegetables, cruciferous vegetables, that's your Brussels sprouts, cauliflower and cabbage, onions, garlic, salmon, herring, anchovies, sardines, mackerel, plain yogurt with live cultures, fermented foods such as sauerkraut, spices such as cinnamon, ginger, turmeric, rosemary and cayenne, green tea and dark chocolate. Remember to get the type that's high in cacao and very low in sugar. What you also want to do is drink less fruit juice, sugar sweetened sodas, eat less sweets, cakes, I'm talking about cookies, pastries, muffins, donuts and puddings, processed meat including ham, bacon, sausages and lunch meat. You also want to eliminate fried foods, in other words forget the takeout food, seed oils, sugary foods and refined wheat products like white bread. If you follow this basic diet then you do have a chance for easing chronic pain.
Women's Euro 2022 is kicking off this summer in England. At London's Central Zoo, a lioness enjoys playing with a soccer ball. Apart from feeding the lions, the zookeepers recently put new toys in the enclosure, soccer balls. The zoo said the balls are treated with herbs and spices. Arya the lioness was quite interested. She showed some impressive ball skills. But Banu, her friend, wasn't as much of a fan. He left his mate to put on a solo show. Meanwhile, on Wednesday, England faces Austria in the women's Euro opener. It's the second time England has hosted the tournament. The first was in 2005 when Germany triumphed. The Netherlands won the last final in 2017 on home soil. The women's Euro 2022 will be held in England from July 6th to 31st. July 4th may be the day many Americans barbecue, but July 5th is a great time for a luau. That's because it's National Hawaii Day. Hawaii is America's 50th state and is honored every year on July 5th. Eight islands make up the Aloha State, which was a key location for U.S. military and strategic interests well before it was granted statehood in 1959. And the Japanese attack on Honolulu's Pearl Harbor in 1941 was the event that pulled America into World War II. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email on the screen. We'd love to hear from you. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. Until next time, Chenny Wu, NTD News, New York City.